begin to, you know, voluntarily work on ourselves or work on visualizing what such an organic, new, evolved timeline would actually look like for us personally. What, are, what would be our preferences in that timeline? What kind of technology would there be? What kind of relationship would we have with our communities and things like that? Because it is, you know, what you're talking about, what these others have seen, there is a very high probability that that still could happen. The work of Charles Hapgood makes it very clear. And Velikovsky, you know, before him, they talked about that the arrangement of the planets in our solar system wasn't always the same. And you got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Always such a blessing to be with you all. Well, I have the wonderful Frank Jacobs on the show today. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thanks for having me, Karen. It's early morning. He's over there in Europe. I'm here in Sydney, Australia. It's early morning over there. He's got his sunnies on <laughs> to cope with the morning. He's had his coffee, he tells me. But they're uh, not real sunnies. They're just my indoor when it's when I, my eyes are all wrinkly glasses, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when, it, when it's the it's a, when it's eight in the morning and I'm not really, you know. <laughs> Some of you might have seen Frank. He's all over the internet at the moment. He was on uh, the Inspire channel with Jean Nolan and uh, went a bit viral what you were talking about. And there were a few things that you said that really had me go, oh, I want to speak to Frank about this. Uh, so I reached out to um, put you on the show. And I think a lot of people felt like that, haven't they, Frank? They've been reaching out to you. You've been a busy boy. Yeah, it's actually pretty shocking. <laughs> I've been pretty much on shows every day, even two in a day sometimes. It's just been unusual. Yeah. Well, you've been doing a lot of things. Let me read your bio, but I want to talk about, you know, some of the projects that you've been involved in and your journey. So Frank Jacobs is an international award-winning filmmaker visual artist, musician, and composer. He teamed up with US motion picture production company called Screen Addiction, exploring the frontiers of conscious raising subjects in films such as Solar Evolution, Revolution. 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 It's just the R is in brackets to make evolution stand out. Ah, I see. Because it's not a film about solar panels. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's not a film about solar panels. I love it. The Klaus Donut Chronicles and Packing for Mars, which is an interesting documentary I want to chat about too because I was researching it today and there's some interesting stuff going on on the internet with that. Known for his enigmatic approach, he has artistically realised many different subjects that would not ordinarily find their way into the audiovisual medium. This has included an exploration of blindness using visuals called beating darkness for the Austrian sight researcher Michaela Velike Perel. I don't know how you say her name. Is that right? Good enough. Okay. And an afterlife video um, epitage depicted the work of deceased architect Helwig 
Ilmania. I don't know how to say his name either. Is that Erwig Ilmeyer? Elvik Ilmeyer. Okay. And uh, annual report in the form of a live cinema narrative entitled Information is Art, which he performed live in 2007 at Carnegie Hall at the world-renowned Doctors Without Borders benefit concert, as well as many other incredible projects in music, art and media. Never mind me, I have cats in the house and they're all freaking out at the same time. So, okay. <laughs> He's letting the cats in. As a presenter, Frank's multimedia presentations take his audiences deep down the rabbit hole into hidden history, transhumanism, artificial intelligence, secret technology, human evolution, timelines, and parallel worlds, which is what you've been talking about a lot lately. And your website is frankjacobs.com. So I heard you speaking on another uh, podcast show. There's Puss. He's coming to say hello. My cat will be jumping on me in a minute. Um, <laughs> you know, there were dreams for being a rock star. I think all of us wanted to be a rock star at some point. And then somebody said, don't give up your day job. So let's get into the spiritually awakening journey for you and how you decided to put this conversation into media, on media. Well, where do you want to start? <laughs> start when you had a spiritual awakening, when maybe the pursuit for fame and fortune didn't feel as important as bringing a message to humanity that might change change the game on planet Earth. Well, you know, if I look back on my motivations, you know, from the very beginning, I started very early, like at an early age, reading sort of mind-expanding books at some point, I just realized the arts are the best way to put information out there to get beyond people's filters. I didn't know exactly what direction that was going to lead me in yet, but I knew very early on that, and that was the reason I decided to kind of pursue a career in music, because I figured, hey, if you can get into music and, you, and, you, and you're popular, then you can use that voice to put important information out. So it was always there. It's just that the integration of the material with the arts came later, obviously, because I, you know, you can't do it just strictly through music. And I didn't like preachy lyrics. So I always loved film. And when I was in high school, I, I discovered filmmaking by taking a film course. And then I knew at that point, okay, I wanted to explore multimedia and you know, not just music, but every, every form of, of expression. And, um, you know, just the journey went a long way, you know, getting to the point where finally I had the experience, the confidence, uh, the know-how, you know, because a lot of times if you're in music or in, in, in arts, um, if you don't land that record deal and if you don't, you know, have like rich parents to send you to film school and make all the contacts, you kind of have to learn all those skills yourself. You have to figure out how you can get your hands on the equipment, how you can then, you know, synthesize it all and and that takes a long that can take a long time and in my case you know I had a very long windy road some very interesting chapters and I ended up at some point in Europe uh, where you know my roots are in Germany and so I decided you know I had this ability to come to Germany and, and live here and work here so I wanted to go back and check it out and the funny thing is at that point I had gone through such ups and downs due to the fact that I had my eye on 
you know, the real world in terms of like being able to filter fake news and, you know, fake information and get to the truth behind certain situations uh, that I just kind of thought, oh, I just I'll toss it and I'll just go back into the Matrix, you know, just like in the film, <laughs> just like Cypher. And uh, I tried that for a couple of years and it didn't work, you know, and then I realized, OK, this just ain't working and I've got to I've got to get back into it and just do it the right way. And that way basically turned into making films, cinematic like documentary films on the subjects that normally only appear on YouTube in very bad production quality or or are total fiction on, you know, high level sci fi productions out of Hollywood. So I wanted to kind of meet in the middle somewhere and use whatever skills I had musically and visually and um, storytelling wise um, and, you know, operating the gear and the cameras and stuff to sort of blend it all into a really cool new form of expression, exploring these kinds of avant-garde fringe topics. And that's where I've landed. <laughs> I congratulate you because, yeah, I mean, most people yeah, are in the matrix, making films for the, you know, for people in the matrix, because that's what sells. Cause these sort of avant-garde, as you call them topics are usually not big money spinners. So it comes from a, it comes from passion uh, rather than profit. But, you know, what you were saying about how the messages in the music, I had a fabulous conversation with Grant Cameron, you know, Grant, Grant yeah. Cameron, ca Canadian. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, about, you know. Fellow wrote, Canadian. Yeah. Oh, were you born in Canada, were you? I was. Ah, but you're living in Europe at the moment. So you've got your. No, I'm in Europe, yeah. Background? Or I spent you... many years in the United States too, so I've oh, been around. Okay. But he put out a book called The Paranormal World of Music. And uh, yes. yeah, and I had a chat with him a couple of years ago about the messages in the music, which just it just keeps popping up. It just seems more relevant than ever before for me, just the way the conversations have been going over the last couple of weeks on the shows, you know, what people are talking about. And um, and this conversation is is just more of the same. Um, but let's talk about packing for Mars. So tell us about Packing for Mars. What's Packing for Mars about? And uh, why did you direct that movie? Packing for Mars is a, a film that is based on a very culty kind of 70s novel put out by um, a Fleet Street, English Fleet Street journalist called Leslie Watkins. It's called Alternative 3. And that itself was based on a um, a science show that was released a year earlier before the book came out, which caused kind of a sensation in England because it was sort of like the English version of A War of the Worlds. It was a fictional docudrama type thing where the, the, the creators of the show were decided on their final episode of a show that had normally only put out factual scientific, like scientific developments and, you know, things like that in the world. Um, they decided to create this show to make it look like it was real and hired actors. And it was based on a kind of a breakaway civilization that had um, set up bases on the moon and from there gone to Mars and created like a survival colony because of the, you know, the catastrophic situation on planet Earth that they saw. They had these think tank meetings uh, and they saw no other solution but to create the survival colony and preserve the human genome. And 
Leslie Watkins took that material of that show and went far deeper. And he, because he's an investigative researcher, you know, he added elements to it, which are really based on true truth. And uh, in the course of writing the novel, he, st he started having friends telling him that his phone was tapped and that he was being, he felt he was being followed. Uh, and it seemed like he'd struck on something real, actually, even though it was fiction, he seemed to be touching on reality. And even Mae Brussel, the famous American investigative journalist, called his book the most dangerous book in her library. And uh, someone had given me that book many years ago. And I was looking for a topic to make a film out of, and I didn't want to just make any normal documentary film of talking heads. I wanted to think of, I wanted to figure out something to do that was a little more a walk on the wild side. And I heard this interview on the radio, on the internet one night with um, Laura Eisenhower, the great granddaughter of Dwight Eisenhower, you know, and I thought, and, and she was talking about a, a recruitment program for Mars. And I'm listening to this going, what is this real? Or like, I thought it was just fiction, right? And, uh, and there was another guy and it turned out to be Andrew Bishago, who was talking about having been involved as a child in these sort of teleportation and jump room type things. Uh, and so I thought, okay, if this is real, I really do now want to know that story and uh, wanted to go out and find all I could out about it. And, you know, long story short, I got in touch with Laura. She wrote back. Um, the person who hosted the show was sort of the grandfather of exopolitics, Alfred Weber. He uh, was instrumental in hooking me up with people like Harry Cassidy. And, you know, he, he just sort of pitched on my behalf because I knew nobody in the scene. I'm not part of the ufology crowd. I'm not a researcher. I wasn't at that point anyway. I wasn't a researcher. I was just, a, you know, kind of a adventurous filmmaker guy I wanted to just go out there and do something wild. And then I ended up on this path, this road to, to craziness. Yeah. And, um, you find out all these, you know, then I, I would, I just knew that if I went out there, I would meet, you know, through fate, you know, I would just be like, there's this line, you know, the universe opens the doors for a fool wishing to know the secret, you know? So I was that fool looking for the secret and the universe was opening the doors and I was meeting all these people and I started to piece together. And one of the people was Tanya Maidenford of Screen Addiction. You mentioned her in my intro, you know, she was somebody who had uh, worked in Hollywood and started having anomalous experiences of me of, of having all like she, part of her thing was continuity and she would have photographs of orbs in all of her pictures. And people thought, you know, that's just dust and stuff. And eventually she's like, no, that's not dust. Right. And then so she ended up becoming, you know, that was her way. And, and then she met all these people when we can when we connected on the first week of filming, it ended up opening up all kinds of new avenues together. And so that we were like Scully and Mulder for the next five years. It took to finish the film. It was a long process. Um, yeah, that's how that happened. And so it, it, it is about this, you know, I was trying to figure out, could there be, you know, like what is the evidence that what's in the book Alternative 3 about this breakaway civilization? What evidence do we have today of that being real? And that's kind of the that was sort of the foundation uh, which I upon which I, I built the rest of the material in that film. Can you just repeat that 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 saying about people? Away? Just, can the, you universe, say that? The, the universe will open the doors for a fool wishing to know the secret. The universe will open the doors for a fool wishing to know the secret. Oh wow, I love that. So, did you find out that any of it was real, or to your understanding or your belief? 
Well, I haven't been to Mars yet, <laughs> but I have. A, I mean, I've I come. We've know. come across so much material <laughs> that I have no other. I can come to no other conclusion other than that there really is something going on on Mars which we're not privy to in the mainstream, uh, and that NASA is notorious for being kind of a, a, a of. Um, yeah, it's sort of like a marketing front for mm -hmm. a, a space program that they are convincing us that we're part of, even though, you know, since at least the 1940s, um, it's been clear that these little things buzzing around us that nobody has an explanation for are pointing toward some other form of reality going on out there, and yeah. that the governments of the world, and in particular the United States, have had an intimate relationship with those pilots of those crafts for probably now close to 80 years. Right. Um, and that that uh, relationship has led to a secondary kind of a real space program or technology program, which is what NASA is, you know, whose job it is basically to cover up. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's lots of good people working at NASA and, you know, they don't really, it's like, you know, the Freemasons, right? I mean, they say, most of the Freemasons are good people. They just want to do good, good community work and, you know, support uh, their communities. And then there's only the ones that are kind of at the certain point that are above a particular veil that know sort of the real secrets of what's going on and why those societies exist. And, uh, and I think that's kind of what I discovered is really going on out there. Because, you know, I was Googling Packing for Mars and it was not coming up. But what was coming up was a documentary made in 2018 called Packing for Mars. It was coming up on all the search engines. Uh, I wasn't using the major one that everyone uses. And uh, it, it, it is your mainstream, like, is it possible to reach Mars? Like, it's a very mainstream documentary. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really interesting that I it's got the same name, right? Same name. Yeah. yeah, I think I may have stumbled across that a few years back, and I was surprised because they don't have the right to use that name. Really? <laughs> As a yeah. film, at least, you know, because, I mean, when you make a film, you know, well, the funny thing is the film was named On the Road. I knew even that part was going to be given to me. And the person that named the film, I was staying at their house, and I was showing the teaser that I'd created to... Uh, to get people involved. It was kind of like a little short blurb that explained where I was going with the film. And it ended up being the intro, the first few minutes of the film anyway. But one of the people was watching that and saw that there's this part of the of that intro where I'm packing my bags. And they said, Oh, packing for Mars. And I'm like, Okay, that's the name <laughs> of the film. That's you know, and and then we found out later that um, at that same time, there was um, a woman called Mary Roach that wrote a book called Packing from Mars. It was all happening at the same time, but that was a book. And this is a film. And it was like, I didn't touch her topic. She didn't touch my topic. And I don't think there's ever been a problem. But it was funny when I found this film. It was like, they've actually taken the name and made a film and it's about Mars. I mean, but I didn't do anything about it. I don't yeah, care. documentary. You know? and, and it's accessible on search engines and yours is not. Well, yeah, mine's the dangerous film nobody wants to have on the right, search engine. which results, I found right? really interesting. That was just me doing my research today. I wanted to sort of see what I want to know more about. Because Craig Campobasso came on the show uh, last year or the year before. And I think he introduced me to you. I think that he told me about you. Because when I saw Jean Nolan's um, thing with you, 
I was already friends with you on um, Facebook and I'm like, now why have I friended him? <laughs> and I think that because you've been working with Craig, right? On right, yeah. Mm -hmm. On his extraterrestrial almanac book that he put out. Exactly. Do you want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? Well, it's there's not that much to talk about yet. We've just, you know, I mean, Craig kind of uh, decided to collaborate with Tanya and myself to put together the film version of that book, The E.T. Almanac. And we're in the production process right now. So it's still ahead of, you know, ahead of the curve at this moment. But, you know, we're trying to create a, an interesting documentary that that reflects the in the contents of that book. Fabulous. I think that would be fantastically interesting. All right. Well, let's get into what you've been talking about all over the Internet with everybody. And that's what you discovered with I think it was who did you was it with the Project Camelot? And you saw Bill, Bill Ryan, Bill Ryan speaking about the looking glass technology. Let's talk about your journey with that. What you're talking about has to do with there's several layers to that story. The looking glass is, you know, relative to project looking glass is talking about a technology that was discovered and um, used starting in the 80s and, and then I think mainly in the 90s and into the 2000s up to a certain point by sort of a, yeah, like a secret group of one of these people that are sort of working on these black ops projects. This group was had figured out this technology, had created this tech or built this technology based on building plans that were discovered in the Middle East. And the technology enabled them to see literally um, like a holographic projection in a plasma field um, future events like they called them timelines and i learned about the project through bill ryan many years ago and there was a interview that kerry cassidy had done with another like there were several people that are protagonists in that story the first one that was i think the main one anyway is dan burish and dan burish was you know, spent a long time and went into much detail describing, I think he even had the permission to talk about it for a while. Um, and then there was another character called Bill Wood, who Carrie inter interviewed, and that video is still in wide circulation, though Dan Burrish's videos have pretty much gone. They're not so easy. You can still find them, but they're not so easy to find as this one with Bill Wood, which is circulating out. It was on an Inspire channel, actually. And Bill Wood was talking about uh, this project Looking Glass and how he was commissioned to come and work on the project because of his expertise as a string theory mathematician. And the people operating the the device were stumped because they were they were they had been using it to see into the future, but whenever they got to the year 2012, the they couldn't see beyond it and everything all the timelines that they had been analyzing converged into one and they were very upset about that and they wanted to find out if there was a way to crack that and change it because the outcome of whatever they were seeing when all those timelines merged into one was not favoring their idea their agenda um, and what happens in that event in 2012 is sort of a mass awakening of consciousness and it fit into the whole 2012, 2012, 21st of December narrative. And, you know, that we would suddenly, you know, have this mass awakening that was, you know, prophesized by the Maya and things like that. And we all know that didn't happen. 
Uh, and so that project kind of went quiet. And Bill Wood turns out to be not his real name. He was then later, you know, caught apparently in a relationship with an underage woman. He was sued. His name was dragged through the mud. He became discredited. That pretty much put that story to death. <laughs> and uh, so years went by, 10 years went by. And I'd, a year ago, or nine years, a year ago, to almost to the day, I was um, doing a, a webinar with my good friend, in the meantime, Dieter Burrs, who I'd, we had done the film Solar Revolution with. He's a, sci a biophysicist, a scientist here in Germany. And we had done a show on, on in Easter about um, looking glass technologies, about, about these, you know, time travel and parallel dimensions and timelines and, you know, some of the science behind it. Uh, and then a year later, I was on a some telegram channel i was checking up on this guy that i was he was in the ukraine he was, had this blog and he was doing like solo reporting from his living room and it was contradicting everything that was on the mainstream news so i was very you know that's my subject like you know it's always different from what's out there right so and i was and I, you know I, I don't normally go on any channels i don't have that much time and especially not the chats but for some reason i was looking for something and i was scrolling down the chats and all of a sudden as if you know, placed there <laughs> was this thing that said looking glass in one of the chats. Someone had just posted that and I clicked on it. I'm like, well, looking that this has nothing to do with like just nothing to do with this topic whatsoever. So that's why it stuck, stuck out. And I clicked on it and I landed on this YouTube page, uh, a channel by a group calling themselves Guardians of the Looking Glass. And there were these two videos and they were about 80 view or 70 something views, like nothing going on. But they'd only just launched the channel three or five or six days before. It was just all fresh. And I'm looking at it going, okay, what's this about? So I clicked on the video and videos and they, were, they started talking about being these military, ex, uh, military um, project whistleblowers that had worked on this project Looking Glass. And they proceeded to describe the technology and it was exactly the technology I knew was real. And they were saying, you know, but they had an interesting angle on it because they were bringing in new elements to it, which were not talked about on any of the previous material that had been released by Bill Wood in that interview with Carrie Cassidy. They were describing the device, how it worked, you know, and they were talking about these events that they were seeing and why they were coming out with this message. And so I was just, you know, I got goosebumps right away and I figured, okay, there's something to this. And uh, so I, I took in all the information and within a couple of days, a third video popped up. And then, you know, of course I went and then Dieter and I talked about it because I told him, hey, check this out. We just <laughs> we were talking about looking glass a year ago. What do you think of this? And then so I started to mull over what to do about it because I was thinking, OK, this feels there is there's something real. I know that looking glass is real. And I, I didn't know. I, and I, I figured, OK, I write them just I'll send him a message and see what happens and uh, a couple of days went by and I was thinking you know what am I going to do about this should I do something about this or should I just let it go and and then I just thought okay you know what the events that they're describing they're so apocalyptic that if there's really something to it you know the jury's still out is are they real or are they not but why not just report on it? Just say, hey, there's this group out there that have released this information. I know about the looking glass. Here's a bit of the history of that. What do you think? And I just put that out there. And I was published in a German on a German news blog. Um, and within hours, I got called by an American um, guy called John Nolan, who we all know, I guess now. And 
I mean, I, a lot more people know him than knew me at that point because he has this inspired channel. I didn't know anything about this. And I'm like, he, he's, do you want to do an interview? I'm like, okay, let's do an interview. And I'm, you know, I've been doing interviews since we released Packing for Mars and lots of them, dozens, hundreds, really. And, you know, usually you get a range between 80 and 8,000 or something of people watching because it's a fringe topic and it's not mainstream. Not a lot of, there's not a lot of people that are interested in these topics that are going to go there. So I didn't think much of it. And I just, we did a nice little interview. And then I, you know, a couple hours later, he's, he publishes it and I'm, I click on it to have a look at it. And I noticed there's like 25,000 hits on it already. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is bizarre. So like, yeah, so I, I'm thinking, okay, interesting. So I, and then a few hours later, it's like up to 50,000. And then a two or three days later, it's up at over 100,000. I'm like, oh my God, this is really taking off. So I think what happened is that because this subject of timelines and and the and the feeling that people have i think people were not really at the same place they were at 10 years ago as they are now consciousness has changed in the last 10 years and it seems like this particular subject the way i wrote it and the way i talked about it ignited something in people and it just exploded and so there we are on the show talking about this stuff and now we've done three shows and i've been on all these interviews and it seems that like the, the topic is very current and it's very i think easy for people to understand framing reality in the context of two potential timelines however simplified it might sound especially to scientists who are dealing with timelines and parallel universes it sounds stupid to just say two timelines but i look at it as two consensus timelines meaning two timeline groups that of course have their variations everybody makes a contribution to the general consensus timeline and changes the timeline in their own individual way through every single decision that we make but still we agree on certain things that's why we all take in the same mainstream news sources we all are pissed off that google or and youtube are censoring everybody these are all commonalities that we've agreed to perceive as collectively as a soul group on the earth right now if you want to call it that and um so that's what it was breaking down to these two main directions and one of them was going in the direction that we're very firmly planted on right now this high-tech society that is being sold to us step by step and then there's this other one that has to do more with what was supposed to or what people were expecting to have happened on december 21st 2012 this quantum leap level of consciousness evolution that's an organic kind of timeline that has nothing to do with technology it has everything to do with the human the unlocking of hidden human potential that we've been awaiting for a long long time for millennia there's this you know we've been at the same level of consciousness you know, we've just got better toys to play with, but we're still talking and interacting on the same emotional and spiritual levels than we have for thousands of years. And we're, we really need to make a, a big leap to the next level. That is a huge change altogether. And I think people feel that and they, they can also feel we're going down this other one. And, and so this, I think, is what sort of set it all in motion. Yeah, the time is now. The time is now for this conversation. I've actually been having this conversation on the shows for years, but it it's just like in the last month or so that it seems pressing, that it just seems like, yeah, yeah it seems pressing. It's a conversation. So that's probably why it went viral on um, Jean's 
on show. I think it's done almost quarter of a million views at this point, hasn't it? It's like up yeah, on... just the one, but there's been yeah. three, and they've been yeah. on several platforms. So I think probably close to a million by now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, probably really added all together. You know, yeah. uh, Frank. Over the years, I've spoken to many channels. I, I like to get my information from people who are, who are psychic channels over researchers because I trust that because I'm a channel. Uh, um, you know, you, you've got to feel the information if it's you know resonating with you, but Many people have been on the shows have been shown looking glass uh, experiences. I won't say technology, but experiences because it. Um, some like there's a New Zealand woman called Susie Hansen who's uh, written a, a book called The Jewel Soul Connection, and she uh, identifies with being a hybrid, you know, human, half grey, half human. And she hung out on the ships when she was a kid, like she's in her late 60s now. And um, she was shown as a kid this sort of looking glass technology, like these probable futures of Earth, that humanity is going down these specific timelines. One can be this ascension where we move into unity and peace and consciousness, and one can be very destructive where there is this mass destruction of the Earth. And um, Lorna Byrne, Irish lady, uh, Irish, who was shown by the angels, a similar thing when she was a kid. She's in her 70s now. Uh, and this looking glass sort of technology is like this psychic phenomena that the beings of light or the ETs seem to have access to readily. They can look into probable futures. Um, so it's not so crazy. And talking about packing for Mars, there's um, one of my favorites on the show who was a corporate lawyer for 36 years. And then his spirit guide work him up and takes him in his astral body and flies him around the universe. And he's written five books about his adventures. One of them was he was taken to meet Neil Armstrong in spirit. And he spoke to him in spirit and asked him about his life on earth and his experience being on the moon. And he said that telepathically he was communicated to when he was on the, um, on the rocket uh, on the way to the moon that um, that they would be waiting for him, that there would be a group of beings waiting for him and that they would leave him a message in the dirt and that when he came down the ladder to look to his left because there'll be a message in the dirt for him and it says, welcome to the moon. Okay, well, they so had that telemetry moment where I think before they went public, after they landed, they have to check everything kind of. And normally that lasts like two minutes or something or like five minutes. And this happened, that this lasted for... I think if I'm not mistaken, a couple of hours even, you know, mm -hmm. and because I think they were, as far as my understanding is, they were trying to process the fact that there were, there were observers. Right. That were watching They're being them. watched. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Neil Armstrong, you know, hinted as much as he could that this had happened in some of his cryptic messages that were, you know, given from him when he returned back to earth. Uh, so absolutely and and you know i've been we've you know after we released the film packing for mars of course others approached us that had information to substantiate a lot of the things that we had in our film which we just hadn't had a chance to you know we you can't find everybody and you only have so much time and and, and so much availability to to pull everyone in that you wanted to have in the film to talk about it so we you know we didn't have everybody but we got that's why we do 
you know, talks afterward or presentations and we bring in additional information that you find out about later, like stuff like John Brandon, John Brandenburg in 2015 brought a bunch of information out about Mars and nuclear explosions that had happened because he'd found the xenon 129 on the uh, in the atmosphere that could only point to a massive nuclear attack because it's nowhere else on any of the other planets and all the planets are made of the same essential building blocks. And, uh, you know, and, and um, you know, Ken, Ken uh, Johnson came up to us and he had pictures of the dark side of the moon because he was the custodian of the photographic archive of NASA for a while. And he had seen actual clear shots of the ones that we'd shown in our film that were smudged. Uh, and, you know, pictures of cities lit up on the backside of the moon and things like that. I mean, it was just awesome how much information. It was just such a good feeling to know, okay, we've, we've hit the target, you know, and uh, we may not have everything in here. And, you know, and there, and there are questions and we ask those questions in the film too. We never want to take the position that we have, this is the absolute truth, but we find the things that are out there just like I took with Looking Glass, with the Guardians of the Looking Glass. You know, the jury's out whether it's some, you know, gag or some PR stunt or some psyop, like some people, Germans are especially big on the idea that it's a psyop. That's why I knew that it would be good to take the story and frame it the way I think it should be framed, which is to talk about it as, as far as consciousness and observing it like a journalist and not saying, oh, look what we found this. Oh my God, we're doomed, you know, but to say, hey, look, isn't this interesting? These are the messages these people are bringing forward. And hey, it happens to relate to the previous stuff in this way it overlaps in this way it's new. Uh, and if it is true, what are we going to do about it? You know, and that's, I think, that's how the approach it should be. Same with Packing for Mars. We we put information out there about Apollo 20. You know, that's a very crazy, you know, little known mission. Uh, like people don't even really understand there was an Apollo 18, which is kind of this docking maneuver between the USSR and, and the United States. And you have to ask yourself, why would they spend billions on a, you know, two hour docking maneuver in space, you know, as a PR gag. I mean, when they were in the middle of a Cold War, <laughs> I mean, it just didn't make any sense. But it makes sense when you think of it in terms of, ah, oh, they needed to work out a docking maneuver because the next mission was planned to go uh, and investigate what they had filmed on Apollo 15, which was on the other side, which was this ship that they'd seen in this crater. And they wanted, they'd flown over it. They'd taken reconnaissance pictures and they wanted to go back there and they needed to, you know, they needed more, um, yeah, capability, more technical capability. And that's why teaming up with Russia made a lot of sense, you know, so and that was all you could find evidence of all of those collaborations in the photographic material, which ended up being leaked out and uh, and broke by um, the Italian journalist Luca Scantamburlu, who's the person we have in the film as well. He told us that story from his perspective of what he'd, you know, how, what he'd gone through. And we looked at that material and we also looked at the anomalies inside that material that seemed to indicate at first glance that it was faked, but there were still unexplained elements to it. So putting it all together gave it a new kind of a definition in terms of it's a language. Sometimes these whistleblowers speak to us in strange code. Um, and, and it's very interesting because even the guardians of the looking glass in their final, their latest video that they brought out, um, talk about a code that there was a code in their video um and i had to chuckle because you know i you know i'm no code breaker in the sense of a mathematical code but there are other forms of coding stuff and we talked about that in packing for mars there was codes in this material like there was the voice of a certain person in that clip that 
corresponded to somebody who was actually the pilot. And there was another, um, you know, there were some tracks on the ground uh, and some, you know, images that pointed to another mission, which was manned by a certain person who happened to be the person who was on the, you know, on, um, on uh, mission control, guiding the people that were on the moon at a certain point when they had trouble because they had trouble on mission they had night they had apollo 19 and 20 and 19 went badly and uh, so this is all encoded in that material that we've presented in the film so it's it's you know at at the very you know least it teaches people watching the film to analyze information coming at them out there with more scrutiny, with a little bit more intelligent approach to what is really being said here. Don't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think that this information becoming mainstream public will change the world? I mean, if, yeah, if it does. Well, very simply, because I know that in my own personal life, when I uh, when I was aware of something and I wanted to strive for something that I thought was cool and I believed in because I'd found out about it, I would start by visualizing myself in that, you know, doing it or whatever, just, you know, making it happen or... Um, and, and I think this material going mainstream, nobody's talking about this organic timeline where we do a quantum leap, really, on the mainstream. All we hear about is in, in every other form of media is the other timeline and the other timelines got, you know, the odds in its favor. I got to say, you know, because they have the people that are running that uh, agenda, they are, are in control of the media. They're in control of Hollywood. You know, they're in control of the, the shows that are coming out on all these sci-fi shows are they're teaching us where they want us to go how what they want us to envision in a future but it's their future it's not our future it's theirs and by us adopting it without filters and just you know hypnotizing our way into it we're actually giving our power to them to realize that timeline um and then of course there's the news and you know and there's the, the very fact that the the large amounts of money um are being invested in artificial intelligence technology and transhumanism uh, way more so than in, you know, the organic timeline, which is much more, you know, low tech. Um, it just puts the odds in their favor. So by putting this into the mainstream uh, and telling people, wait a minute, there's also there's these hidden abilities that you have. Um, and it's been long in the coming and it's been prophesized by indigenous cultures and it's been awaited that there's going to be a quantum leap and science now and quantum physics is teaching us that we're not just rocks and molecules and atoms but that we're actually consciousness that is utilizing rocks and molecules and atoms as an expression medium for our soul's evolution that we actually have a higher form of consciousness reaching into other dimensions and that we're getting close to cracking into that next dimension and that we're getting help from the universe to do that it's all being orchestrated in our favor. But if nobody's telling us that, we don't even have, we just, we might feel, there's people that are feeling things, especially channels and people that are more awake already. They're feeling a change and a shift in the energy, higher energy on the planet. And it's been happening. In fact, the 2012 date is interesting because around that time, a window opened where we reached a place in the galaxy where we're actually being hit by frequencies and energies which we'd never been hit with before, coming from the center of our galaxy which are affecting us, stimulating us. 
Um, and so some of us might be feeling the stimulation and getting greater insights. And there's a lot of that going on by other people are, they might just get irritated by it. They might have more headaches or they don't even care. They're not even paying it. They're blocking it out. They're too busy working their job and following the directions of the timeliners that are pushing us to transhumanism. Um, so this helps getting into the mainstream helps people realize, wait a minute, there really is help from the universe. Like we really, there, this is, there is something to this. Interesting. Maybe I should spend a little bit of time focusing on what, what vision I would have of that new world that we're supposed to inherit, this new quantum leap that we're, we're supposed to be taking. And that will begin to swing the favor, the, the, um, probabilities in favor of this new timeline, this new Earth timeline, and less in favor of the technological timeline, which is moving full steam ahead, and begin to dissolve that or weaken it a little bit. And the, the best case scenario is that when this, uh, prof this, this cosmic event, which has been forecast, comes, which is apparently going to happen in some time in the near future, nobody can really put a date on. Although the Guardians talk about a year 2030, you know, it doesn't have to be, right? It could be a window of the next 20, 30 years. But something has definitely been foreseen and something could happen on a cosmic level that would affect our consciousness. So that between now and when that happens, if we've spent some time preparing for it, focusing a little bit on it, um, tuning our minds and our consciousness to finer elements of perception, then I think the chances are much greater that when that moment comes, we're all going to make this transition and we're going to realize that new world and that other technological world will find a different place. It won't have the same prominence. It might still be there, but it'll be like tame the technology instead of submit to the technology. You know, what do you do when you sign anything on the internet or install new software? What's the last button you hit? It says submit. <laughs> Isn't mine that says, funny, right? Mine says return. It, it's been interesting what's been happening with the shows. Uh, I just book people in. I don't do it from a, like a really organized perspective. It's just what I'm interested in. But there is this unfolding in this conversation that has this synchronicity, which is just blowing my mind lately. So a couple of weeks ago, I had Dolly Saffron on the show, who's an ET contactee. And she's very conscious. She has full memory recall of all her experiences. She doesn't have to go into hypnosis. She, um, she reckons she drives the ships. She's out there with the ETs. You know, she's like completely immersed. She said, oh, two and a half years, coronal mass ejection, take humanity back to the Stone Age. She says that's a guaranteed from her perspective. So people are like, oh, wow, that's very negative. Isn't that negative? Isn't that terrible? But her and Preston Dennett, also an incredible, you know, do you know Preston? Incredible researcher, um, master, astral traveler, incredible person. He's been um, putting information out there about um, people's ET experiences. Uh, he said, no, he sees it as a really good thing. Um, but um, it's definitely a timeline that she's on because part of her mission is to... Um, pick people up in the spaceships that want to move off earth and go to another planet, which is a lot of the lyrics in the music that Grant was talking about. Um, when I was talking to him a couple of years ago, there was a famous song by, oh, what's his name? Um, Neil Young in the seventies talking about this disastrous thing that was going to happen in these silver ships, picking people up, taking them off planet. 
And uh, then I had this beautiful woman on the show called Susan Christensen, who is putting out a documentary called Indigenous Prophecy Today, The Wisdom of the Grandmothers. And she's coming to Australia to get the Indigenous perspective of our um, prophecy. Uh, and she said that the Indigenous talk about this as well. But they said that the two timelines that you're talking about are um, this sort of destructive timeline is if humanity doesn't come together in unity and peace. Bless you. <laughs> you muted. I muted. I hope I, hope I muted it. <laughs> you did. Um, you know, that there would be a disaster that would force humanity to come together because we are shifting like, like in the looking glass that there is this future out there where the timelines merge and we move into a new experience on planet Earth and we can't stop that. But there's a couple of ways that that can happen. It can happen through a, a horrific event which forces humanity to work together and come together and unite or we can do it voluntarily. You know, we can raise our consciousness and be more peaceful. Right. What do you think exactly. about that? Well, that's what I was getting at. I think this, you know, voluntarily means that we we embrace some of this new information that that uh, was was like triggered by this guardians of the looking glass message. We begin to, you know, voluntarily work on ourselves or work on visualizing what such an organic, new, evolved timeline would actually look like for us personally. What are, what would be our preferences in that timeline? You know, would we you know, would there be, you know, what kind of technology would there be? What kind of relationship would we have with our communities and things like that? Um, and because it is, you know, what you're talking about, what these others have seen, there is a very high probability that that still could happen. I mean, you know, the work of Charles Hapgood makes it very clear. And Velikovsky, you know, before him, they talked about the that the uh, arrangement of the planets in our solar system wasn't always the same. And, you know, the Saturn moon matrix goes into that a little bit. And the idea that uh, um, the sun is not necessarily uh, on a physical level, our friend, you know, because it does go micronova or it does do these mega flares every so often. And Hapgood, you know, and, and there's like these people talk about cycles that happen that are documented on cave drawings still to this day that talk about three days of darkness or three days of where the sun stood still in the heaven and things like that. Depending on what part of the planet you're on, it makes sense and it indicates that these cataclysmic events do tend to happen. And they can be accompanied by a variety of things which have been shown to be um, found in the fossil records. They, they, they are accompanied by um, electromagnetic pole shift, meaning that north switches with south. Not necessarily the planet rotates, but the pole shifts because the solar, the pole on the sun shifts and it has a direct effect on our planet. And so our poles shift magnetically. But it can also mean that the poles actually shift physically, that the Earth rotates, um, you know, up to like they found that the, the actual evidence is there that the Earth is rotated like 90 degrees. And then the next time it happens, it rotates back to the same position. Very interesting. And because they found, you know, fossil remains on Greenland under the ice where there never should have been any tropical plants whatsoever if the, the history is true, right? So these events all indicate that cataclysmic events come and they seem to wipe us back to 
a reset. Maybe this is another form of the great reset, you could say. And, uh, you know, the, even if the technology, even if we were a technologically advanced society at that point, if we are subjected to a, a pole shift, you can imagine flooding, you know, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, you know, it's the end of modern civilization. And if we had had that happen to us right now, it doesn't matter if we have iPhones, they'd be useless, you know, and if they landed in the desert somewhere, you can be sure that in the next 10,000 years, if they'd be nothing but dust. So the only thing that's left is what's carved on stone, you know, which is one of the questions that I had very early on when I met with Klaus Donna and we started working with him that, you know, why the message always is on stone, you know, like, why don't they, well, because stone is the only thing that survives, you know, thousands and thousands of years, you know, and uh, you can still see those stone carvings and stone drawings, and, but you can't find the iPhones and the, you know, the iPads that the ex, you know, the, the ancient advanced technological civilizations had because it all disintegrated. So, you know, yes, there is a probable timeline, which was also described, you know, we talked about that on, on Inspire with Gene Nolan, there's these P-52s and P-45s, these two future descendant humans that traveled back into time using looking glass technology to this particular time because of a, of a before standing event. And that before standing event triggers the timeline that leads to the P45 version of reality, which is, in my view, the descendants of the Klaus Schwab Great Reset Gang. And they want to maintain that timeline. And, and there is a timeline war going on between them and the other P, uh, the P52s who are here to assist us to make a transition and avert that timeline. And the only way to do that is to wake us up. And so I think now that we've realized that with consciousness that we aren't just rocks and atoms, but that we're, but the entire universe is a conscious living being. If you can embrace that idea and start looking for the substantiative evidence to it, you will find it and it'll help to reinforce, um, you know, the level of your consciousness to connect with the greater cosmos in that sense and realize that, hey, you know, there's the universe doesn't always want to just be destroyed and go back to the stone age. There's a part of the universe that wants to transcend that cosmic event and actually maybe get that energy that's coming. If it's a solar flare or a micronova or something, that, that this time when it comes, it's like, you know, it just gives us that boost and it pushes us into the fifth dimension. And, you know, where we access new information fields that we don't have access to right now. You know, yeah. only some of us do. So, yeah. Well, that's been talked about a lot through different avenues, channels, people in hypnosis, the event, the event, the event, everyone's talking about the event, that there's some cosmic rays is going to shift this world into a new experience, call it the fifth dimension, fourth density, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's a channel here in Queensland called Blossom Goodchild, who channels the Federation of Light, and they've been talking about this for a long time. And she is the person, she's hilarious, is like, you keep talking about it, but nothing's happening. <laughs> she's hilarious, but she has this amazing access to channel this information, the event, the event. Uh, yeah, it's, it's destined, no matter what. What I'm seeing is, uh, and I've heard this from different people, that yeah these coronal mass ejections are happening all the time our sun is very unstable but there are ets out there with technologies to buffer it 
so that the radiation goes around Earth and doesn't go specifically into Earth and fry everything. And um, so there has been help from our higher civilization, from our ET star nation brothers and sisters to stop us frying because of our sun. And maybe there's a decision made that if we don't get our act together and come into more unity and peace, they'll just take that technology away and let the sun do what it does. And that will be that cataclysmic event. Right. It's, it's up to us to make that. We have to take responsibility for our lives. We can't just sit here and wait for the guru or the savior to come and fix it for us. And so I disagree with people who believe that, oh, you know, there's never going to be a nuclear war on the earth. The ETs are going to come in and shut it off. Well, they weren't there when they tested them. They weren't there when they, you know, already had, you know, small scale blasts going on and killed all those people in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. They didn't intervene there. Um, so there obviously is a certain barrier where they have to allow free will to happen, because otherwise, how would we ever grow as souls if we if you can't have free will on the one hand and yet on the other hand, oh, whenever it gets really hard times, so then they come in and they fix it all for you. I mean, sorry, I don't believe that. You know, I think in terms of the greater cosmic events that you were just describing, where there is some mega cosmic event, um, there might be some kind of a soul agreement that we have with these other beings. Um, and, you know, that, that we agreed to Earth, you know, this version, and they're a part of it. And their role was to be maybe also to help, you know, like a lot of people feel that humanity was seeded by extraterrestrials to begin with. And there's evidence for that. You know, that we just didn't evolve from monkeys or whatever. We were actually, you know, seeded and evolved artificially. And given, you know, those things that aren't part of our DNA, like the 12 strands instead of just the two, you know, the unlocking of the... So there seems to be like a plan and that they may have something to do with it. And that's why maybe these people can intervene on a cosmological level, if there's some huge mega flare that's going to just wipe out the experiment, then it's kind of a waste. Then, you know, what's the point? And yet at the same time, you have to be open to the idea that we're allowed to destroy ourselves as part of the lesson. There are probably millions of planets out there in the giant universe that have life that has reached the point where we are at, where there's also extraterrestrials also interacting. Did every single one of them make it? I'm not sure. I think probably some of them didn't make it. And that would, you know, if, if everyone was allowed to make it and not learn from the experience of, hey, we need to evolve on our own. We can't always expect, you know, a helping hand to come and just, okay, here, push us over the edge. Then that's not really the fullest expression of the, the divine universe either. Then it's like when everyone arrives back at godhood, it's like, yeah, you made it. Yeah, but you kind of cheated, didn't you? You know, you should have you know right yeah okay true we have to go back and do it again we have to do it on our own you know and that has to be part of the universe otherwise i don't think why even bother have free will then yeah but i think that this conversation is rising specifically now because uh yeah we're, we're reaching a precipice where we just have to start making peace making peace making peace making peace with our families making peace with you know coming into unity consciousness which means loving the people that you hate, including the cabal or the dark forces or the deep state or whatever it is that you want to call it. Um, you know, hating the enemy is still that polarized, divided, separate yes. consciousness 
and it's not a unified consciousness and so yeah the message of unity and oneness is 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 pressing it's like we have to come into that more unified state of consciousness Um, well one of the messages that i really liked on the guardians of the looking glasses videos is that yes they project this doom and gloom in form of events that are going to transpire and there's an agenda by these negative timeline people on the other hand you know the way they describe the positive timeline um you know they do talk about all those things you're describing this you know that we have this that the people don't take revenge on you know when we've reached the timeline we want to be on those that were trying to push us to a negative timeline are so um they've become so weak and disempowered that we don't punish them we don't we take pity in the sense that we we allow them space in the new timeline um, but for the most part they're going to probably exit anyway because they're not going to be able to, they have to confront themselves and that could be so painful for some of them that they will opt out anyway in whatever form that means you know physically or whatever but they will just be you know they'll be the, the poor souls you know <laughs> on the streets begging you know and and i think that's you know, an inter- I like the idea that the the resistance is not through f- positive force, like proactive force, but through passive. We're going to ignore that, and we're going to create instead a new world and spend our energy there, instead of spending our energy fighting something which we have no chance to go up against anyway. We're you know we're we're honoring the fact that our energy has value and has power toward creating a new timeline and a new universe and a new earth. And that's where we should be investing it in and not in fighting. We should look at those people. And I've felt that a long time already that I don't look at the dark people out there as, you know, yes, they're evil. They're doing things that are considered evil. But in a way, they're just our dark side. If we are really going to embrace the idea of us being unity consciousness, then they are our dark side of our consciousness. We all have those dark thoughts. And, and, and if we extend it into society, then there has to be those dark elements represented in society. And that's all they are. But they're not powerful. Everyone says, oh, you know, Elon Musk is the Antichrist. It's like, why would I give him that power? He's not the Antichrist. <laughs> the Antichrist is supposedly this powerful being, that dark, you know. No, he's not. He's just Elon Musk. <laughs> and he's poor probably old, got handlers, you know. <laughs> poor old Elon Musk. He's getting so much publicity now because of his Twitter, his Twitter takeover. But uh, yeah, I think that, you know, people are doing their best with what they have and and he's one of them. You know, he he's definitely is he's definitely um, globally focused instead of personally focused. Like he's I've seen interviews with him. He's like doesn't live in a mansion, doesn't have sixteen thousand Ferraris. You know, he's really obsessed with his with his work and and putting whatever he puts into the world for the betterment of humanity. Um, albeit, though, I see it as old technology, those rockets and things that he's building. Well, yeah, that's the problem I have with Elon Musk to begin with, because, I mean, I've long ago embraced the idea that there's a really uh, there's real technology and then there's this ar- ar- ancient archaic technology. Right. And so when I see a guy like Elon Musk developing rockets, I'm like, dude, you're either dumb or you're part of the game, you know, yeah. I mean, because look, it's you even have your company called Tesla. Uh, ever think about looking at an inventor called Nikola Tesla and what he actually worked on and maybe investing 44 billion instead of on Twitter 
to create a community and bring in the best, most advanced inventors and develop free energy. <laughs> You'd have it well, done in five years. So why don't you do that? I mean, that's why I'm just thinking, that's how I think about a guy like Musk, right? So I'm like, yeah, I mean, is he providing solutions that are helping humanity? Well, his cars use lithium. What is, where does lithium come from? Have mm -hmm. you ever seen those lithium mines? Do you know yeah. how they pull lithium out of the ground? Yeah. You know, they have to use the ground, the good groundwater from usually the poor nations that they're or the high in the mountain in the Andes or something. They take the groundwater, which is scarce for the communities living there, and they pump it to flush the lithium out of the ground so that they can make a few batteries for Elon Musk's cars. I know I was awesome. having this conversation. Super, with you know, brilliant. I was having this conversation with my girlfriend about green energy is 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 almost more dirty than coal coal energy. Yes, because coal of... burns carbon. It, de it decomposes in the environment. It's one of the four building blocks of life. Yeah. But we've been told, oh, carbon is evil. It's evil. It's a part of the brainwashing process. I mean, it's mind control, Karen, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, Frank. Okay, so this is the part of the conversation which I probably won't put on the major platforms. So I'm going to. Oh say, yeah, uh, I probably uh, said the bad word here. No, no, know, no, not no, not not that part. Mm, I want to get into mm. something that you talk about. Okay, with, we want to go into the rabbit hole now. Yeah, with with Jean Jean, uh, which uh, we can't talk about on the major platform. So if you want to hear the rest of the conversation, I'll be uploading it to places like Odyssey. I'm loving Odyssey at the moment and Rumble. I've got the shows on Rumble and Odyssey. But um, so I'll say goodbye to people on the major platforms. But I want to talk about what you saw with the um, with the vaccinations and uh, and the graphene oxide. I think that was the thing that really got me um with what's going on would you want to speak about what you noticed about all that well i didn't really take much note of the graphene oxide thing until i saw a friend of mine called dr andreas nowak a german scientist and you know really super smart guy multi-talented but his background is graphene oxide technologies in fact he worked in that industry segment for many years all verifiable right and a few a couple of months ago he popped in i i did a show with him i think on in october 2019 or 2020 or something maybe 2020 and and then all of a sudden i hadn't heard from him in a long time he, he re resurfaces with a video in which he describes and he's so brilliant in the way he does it. He's always got one of these whiteboards up, you know, and he'll st start drawing the formulas and because he's a scientist, you know, he's a geek. But he he's got he pops in with this video describing how he discovered a research paper put out by two Spanish scientists that had discovered trace elements of graphene oxide in the mRNA vaccines that were being put out there. And the, the, the two scientists were quickly flushed out, you know, eliminated from the public domain. Their work was discredited, but not before Andreas got a hold of the paper and, and had, you know, analyzed it. And he was basically describing mechanism behind how the graphene oxide, it, it, you know, how it works. And it's like millions of little microscopic little razor blades. And he was saying what effect that would have on the body. 
and you and meanwhile at the same time you could see in the news the cases of athletes and people and children and things like people like falling over dead or having major you know physical problems which correlate exactly to what Andreas Nowak was talking about with with respect to graphene oxide and and the sad thing is that less than three days after he published that video he suddenly died and the people in my community that knew him they all believed that it was directed energy weapons because he was totally normal he was happy everything was cool he was not suicidal and then really within he started having these convulsions heart like attacks you know things and then within you know a few waves of that he you know he was unconscious and then he got taken to the hospital they resuscitated him a couple times but he was gone um and it reminded me of another person who in 2019 emerged on stage with my good friend Dieter Brewers at a conference talking about mind control and CERN and how CERN was being used and operated to experiment on mind control experiments. Um, and he had been part of the early crew at CERN and as soon as they made a discovery that they broke through to another universe, to a parallel dimension, the is the classic MIB story, you know, the black trucks pulled up, the MIBs walked in, took control of the facility and locked off certain areas and he suddenly didn't have clearance to the whole facility any longer. And he came on and talked about this at this conference. Um, and on, on the way to the conference, it, he had almost been run off the road twice. And after he he came out and talked about what had been going on with mind control at CERN, two weeks later, he was found dead. Another young man, not, you know, dying of old age, not sick. And so here were two. And when I saw that with Andreas, I was like, of course, shocked and saddened because I knew him. But then fast forward, I'm reading the Guardians of the Looking Glass video transcripts, or I'm watching the videos, you can do both. And they're, what are they describing? They're describing the technology that the elites that are running the negative timeline and pushing their probabilities and using these events, false flag operations, to anchor in their timeline will ultimately use a technology that will when the cosmic event happens, instead of pushing us to this new quantum state of consciousness, it'll have the it'll have the reverse effect. It'll switch us off. That might be physically, you know, and just in terms of we just drop dead, or it might be it just shuts us off mentally, and in a way like a kind of like a live lobotomy, you know, where you just suddenly like you just become like you become like what Leslie Watkins described and. In alternative three, the the batch consignment groups that were taken to Mars, they were lobotomized so that they would be non-resistant slave laborers on a foreign colony, you know. And and uh, it's it's funny how these themes keep popping up again. And here we had graphene oxide being the element in the vaccines that is going to be what is used by the cabal in pushing their transhumanist timeline and in getting most of us out of the way so that when the event happens they're left they're a small minority of a million people and there's about 500 million of us left that are their servants um, and whatever robots they've developed or you know that they've even maybe transplanted their consciousness into by then so it's 
you know and the fact is nobody has ever answered those questions okay we're getting uh, interference right internet interference. <laughs> no okay, big surprise so there we started with uh, nobody's ever answered those questions and then what did you say yes. after that i mean why are we not you know the thing is the the the, the mainstream is so controlled that we have now made it taboo to put our politicians to task and ask them the hard questions and demand that they give us an answer, which is kind of what, what Dr. Andreas Nowak was doing. He said, why is Austria's health minister not being put on the spot and said, hey, here's the chemical composition. It's got graphene oxide. What business does graphene oxide have in this mRNA vaccines? Answer the question right now or come back to us with the answer. We'll give you a week. And, you know, instead of what happens is that, oh, conspiracy theory. No, it's a, everyone knows the vaccines are good. They've been tested. They're safe. safe and that's and the end of it. That's the narrative. It's control the narrative. It's that's all about control. controlling the narrative now instead of a society that is open where people are just like I embrace the idea that something that's evil out there is really part of me. And mm -hmm. I don't instead of fighting it, I just embrace it and go, OK, I need to work on it. Right. And allow it. It's space. Um, why can't the opposite be true that those who are on the dark side say, okay, maybe we should look at this. It's so yeah. imbalanced and one-sided, right? And, you know, and the only way we can get that forced out there is for people like you and I on these shows on the fringe to be pushing, you know, pushing it out there for people to think about. And maybe there's some politician in, Aust in Australia that's, tuning in by chance and listening to this and thinks, what? you know what, I'm going to start ordering all the research papers that are out there. And I'm going to see if there's really something to this. And if there is, I'm going to break it. I'm going yeah, to break the story. There are actually you know? a few politicians in Australia doing exactly that. And they have been slaughtered in the mainstream media and, you know, cool crazy and stuff like that. But they're starting to come together, even from opposite, you know, parties, they're starting to come together to unify and um, that's that. the only way, Karen. You Look know, me. they have to figure out the reason that they're getting demolished uh, is because they're approaching it the wrong way. They're not going public in the in the proper way. Yeah, th and, there was you know, one because guy. they're not they're not marketing geniuses. Let's face they're it. Not. What they need, what they need is they need a marketing powerful marketing ad, ad agency like the on the level of Apple's you know ad agency of awakened people. And that have decided, okay, they've committed to the truth. And now who else do we need? We need, uh, you know, we need someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, who's not compromised, you know, like we need a big actor who is woken up, like maybe it's, you know, um, well, I don't know, you fill in the blank, I'm sure you all know of them that are out there, you know, but um, people that are famous that can use their spotlight like i was saying the reason i went into music in the beginning because you get famous and you have a platform right right so you use all those elements and you organize and you, you do it properly and that nobody can stop you i'm sorry not all the media is going to be able to ignore all those people yeah and that's yeah. the only way to do it but you have to be smart about it yeah you got yeah. it yeah and it, it, it's, that, it takes there was a gotta up, we've, we've up the game that. man because these people these transhumanists they're on interference interference we've still got interference yeah, yeah. um anyway yeah. uh it'll stop uh yes the, we had a politician great reset agenda we had a politician on our mainstream media talking about maybe the vaccine wasn't the way to go and he was just 
the the blonde, the pretty blonde girl who was one of the hosts on the morning breakfast show just told him to shut up. You've got to shut up. You've got to stop talking. Like she was so rude to him. It's unbelievable. Anyway, but I wanted to talk about the graphene oxide because I had been watching because uh, I have a show and I've got, you know, followers and what I have, people were sending me so much information and I'm a curious person. So I couldn't watch all of it, but I watched a lot of it. And, and, um, and I watched all this stuff with an open mind, not thinking that people are crazy or, you know, like conspiracy theorists, just watching all of it with an open mind. And one of the videos I saw was people testing pharmaceutical drugs like, like um, painkillers, like Panadol, your paracetamols and showing that these two had graphene oxide in them and they were sort of dissolving them in water and then putting a magnet to it and then moving all these tiny particles and they were clumping into these black clumps and I was watching that going oh wow that's interesting and um, and then people were talking about the vaccines having the graphene oxide and then you came out and said oh the graphene oxide is to do with when there is this big solar sort of this light thing that it will be detrimental to the health of the body and the mind uh you won't fare well when you're filled with graphene oxide and it just hit me like a brick i'm like oh my god because it's in all it's in not just the vaccines it's in most pharmaceuticals like they're putting it in the drugs and probably the water and uh and who knows yes and yeah they have microplastics that's another one look at microplastics Mm -hmm. okay there's plastic all in the environment you know, you have to, at some point, come to the term, come to terms with the fact that there, if the, if you give if you give any credence to that quote that's been floating around by Kissinger that says, you know, we have to get rid of all these useless eaters and we'll we'll get them to do it voluntarily, you know, they'll line up and we'll you know and we'll create this crisis, you know, this, and the vaccine will be, you know, and or if you just use it as a symbology behind an agenda to really get us to take vaccines around the globe, um, you have to take a look at the bigger picture that's been happening over many years. They've, you know, they've been they've been operating chemtail pro, chemtrail programs for decades. Um, you know, spraying it into the atmosphere. They've been caught with you know dumping chemicals into the water supply. They've been dumping chemicals into the food supply, the mainstream food supply. They've been, you know, they've been um, using television and media to, uh, you know, propagandize us and control our minds and steer us in that direction. And never as there, the first thing that I came across that seemed unusual for me about this particular thing with the vac- with the COVID was that you know, I was I studied about vaccines decades ago myself when I was into living foods and I was a, a practice, a practice, a teacher of people how to, you know, cleanse their bodies using natural substances like wheatgrass juice and sprouting and things like that. Of course, you get into that material about the vaccines, but and there were vaccines out there, but they weren't like, you know, you, you could volunteer <laughs> to have a vaccine. And there was a, a pharmaceutical lobby and the doctors were pushing them on you. But, you know, if you didn't want to do it, it's like, okay, that's your world. This is my world. I don't care. But what's different now is with COVID, suddenly they're taking away the right for you to make that decision. And so they are are creating an inconvenience for you that threatens your very livelihood and survival unless you opt into their vaccination program. So that's something you have to be very suspicious about immediately. 
That does not make sense because it, in all of the constitutions that are existent in the free world, if you want to call it that, the democratic world, there's always this thing about the body being inviolable, you know, the right to a human body. And then especially then the whole Nuremberg Codex and all that stuff. I mean, they've driven it home that we're inviolable. That is, and they've, they've, you know, attacked everybody in the world that has tried to push any kind of an agenda. And yet here they are pushing this agenda of vaccines on everybody. So that's the first flag that went up in my mind as to, okay, there's more going on here than just another vaccine and a bunch of money making. And then, you know, I found there's a, there's a really good book here, like a, a guy in Germany released. Yeah, this this book, if you get it, if you're in Germany, you know, it's called Inside Corona by Thomas Lerpa. He's a sort of an investigative journalist. And it, it details not just that, you know, that there was a simulation um, taking place that, you know, preceded the whole COVID narrative, but that there were several of them, years run up to it. They started, you know, with the swine flu and the bird flu and all these things. They were all like these stages where they tried out this concept of getting more people to take, voluntarily take a vaccine. And they were, these were all studies. These were all live studies. And it's all detailed in this book. And, and they finally did their final simulation. And that was the one they did, you know, in, uh, at, at the end of 2019. You know, and which they did in Wuhan, of course, right? <laughs> I mean, these people are so blatant; they they wave it and flaunt it in front of our faces. We didn't even check it, you know, because we've never come to the conclusion that it's funny how that the virus broke out in the same city. They did a simulation in just a month earlier, isn't it? But basically, it's clear that there's an agenda to push us toward taking these substances, and so all of it makes sense. And then emerges this group, the Guardians of the Looking Glass, and they're talking about taking vaccines over the, not just one, but several rounds. It makes, it all makes sense. So either they've taken the narrative that's out there and created a cool script for a sci-fi flick, or they've disclosed the truth to us and they've left it up to us to do something with it. Yeah. Uh, or a mix of both, like everything that's out there right now. You can't even be sure anymore what you're getting in terms of truth. Because, you know, there's these things called alternate reality games going on mm -hmm. that are on levels that people have no clue about. And so you might be in an alternate reality game unbeknownst. You're just being guided by some puppet master, not even knowing about it. Mm -hmm. And so the information, you know, activists, the light activists of now have to step up their game. Just like the politicians disclosing the stuff have to step up their game. The game has gotten tougher. The yeah. rules have gotten tighter. The other side is a way better team than they've ever been. And they're organized. They have regular meetings. They have amazing multimedia presentations. They're we got to step up the game. And that means we have to be open organized. to the idea that we might be in some simulated alternate reality game. But so what? There's still truth in there. And we can, if we find out that we were just a pawn of some joke, the, you know, the, the new light activists will go, yeah, I knew that. We were in a simulation. Done check move on you know uh you don't get hung up on the fact that you might be derailed for something that finds finds out to be not true which is always what they do in these scenes they draw players in that are bringing disinformation into the pool so that muddies the water but the truth is still there you just have to be more uh clever and more organized 
and organized better data. networked to get the information out now than you ever had to be. There was a quote by, I think it was um, King, what was his name, Martin Luther King, that said the people that love peace have to be as organized as the people that love war. Uh, and uh, I remember that really spoke to me back in 2014 and we put on a big peace, um, peace day rally, peace day festival um, for, P for International Peace Day here. Because like, yeah, they're just, you know, look at the military, how organized it is. I mean, how organized are they? Yeah, we just need to be a, bit, a little bit more organized to get our messages out there. Um, but coming back to, where am I? I'm all over the place. Coming back to the, the graphene oxide. No, it's oxide. me that's all over the place. <laughs> coming back to the graphene oxide, coming back to the solar flash, I'm thinking <clears throat> as I'm listening to you talk, so I'm seeing lots of light workers come Christmas time, come the beginning of the year. So many of my friends just came down, just came down with what is now called COVID. You know, I feel like making a documentary called Weaponizing the Flu. So there's no more flu anymore. There's just COVID. And then COVID has this connotation that this is a deadly disease and it's going to kill you and you can't go out. You've got to isolate. You know, we've, we've put this narrative around the flu. And, um, but what I'm seeing is the light you know, is getting kind of, is being turned up on planet Earth, has been for a while. Maybe it comes from the sun, where whatever this, this solar, this, this energy that is like transforming our world. And you're right, we have been systematically poisoned over years through chemtrails and pesticides and um, our transport system and, you know, crap in the water. And this sort of light that's hitting the planet is asking us to detox and the flu is the way the body detoxes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. It's like it, it, for those who are you know listening that are going, but COVID is real. Even people that are awakened still believe COVID is real. And you know what I say to that is like, yeah, it's what's real is your body is toxic, man. And and the level and, and every time the level of toxicity in your body is a direct reflection on how sick you get. You know? Right. And uh, and you either get a cold and it's gone the next day because you got some toxins to get out, or you're down for the count for like I know people that have gone for two weeks with a cold. Yeah. You know, yeah. but before before COVID, it was okay. You were just sick for two weeks. Now yeah. it's like, oh my god, you know. Yeah. He's, I know. he's down for five five days quarantine. You know, I know. it just the perspective, people, right? Perspective. Put it in perspective and realize. I mean, we've you know they never propagandized the flu. Two years before, in twenty in twenty eighteen, my mother, my parents uh, are in an old age retirement facility, and there was a flu outbreak in two thousand eighteen, and I think twelve people in the facility, out of there's only about fifty people living there, I think, bit the dust. You know, was there a headline somewhere in a Bavarian newspaper that said, "Oh my God, really bad flu is going around, people are dying," nothing. And when COVID hit, you know how many people died at that facility? No. Nobody. Nobody. So, you know, it's it's like we're you got to realize we're being propagandized, man. We're being. I know. They've got it down. The marketing. They've got they've the got, best marketing people on their team. They've got it. And down. they put those people together with their little NGOs, and those NGOs become the advisors to your government. Yeah. And they and the politicians are usually the dumbest people in the class. Okay, in Germany, the the pe people that are now running the government are just ridiculously stupid, and they all were all flunkies. None of them really graduated with honors. None of them even half of them didn't even finish, you know. But they became politicians, so they're all just you know 
marketing shills. And where do they get their information? They have to get it from somewhere. Well, guess what? There's these NGO brilliant people out there that have all the information. All they have to do is copy it and paste. Copy, oh, paste, copy, paste. Bingo. They're brilliant but, politicians. But let me ask and you And this. this is what's going on. It's just, you know, and then they've got all the media on their side. Let it's very easy friend. to do and they're doing it. We just need to see through it. You know? Have you got kids? I do not. You don't. But you know people that do. Like, I, I so, yes. So mm -hmm. the, the younger generation. So this is this is what my friends and kids and mine, uh, my daughter are thinking. Um, so my daughter didn't speak to me for a few months because I uh, I showed her a video about how efficient her immune system was and that it's a, it's a magical thing and you don't really need to take a pharmaceutical drug in order to affect your immune system your immune system if right. you craft yourself it's just gonna it's just gonna you're gonna be fine so she saw me as an anti-vaxxer because i didn't vaccinate her she's in her 30s um and it's interesting i find the word anti-vaxxer again there's a narrative wrapped around that it's like if i don't drink alcohol am i an anti-alcohol you know alcoholic if I don't participate in other things that aren't specifically well, am I anti that too? It's kind of interesting, the narrative. But her, right. her stance was by telling her that I was being, um, I was being, I was fear mongering. This is what she said, fear mongering. So you think of the younger generation. They want to be successful. They want to have a good time. They want a boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, fall in love. They don't want to have this conversation so they see it as fear-mongering. I thought that was so interesting. Uh, have you come across that? Instead of waking up, they just like, they just don't want to talk about it. They'll go to the pub and go to the festivals and have a good time and dance and take the vaccine well, because it makes them, um, they can go to their favourite pub or they can go to their favourite festival or they can fly or, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I think that it just, what you're talking about is there's this, there's some, um, general desire for people to want to be able to socialize and do their thing and party together and go to discos and go on vacation right. uh, and these these they've somehow through the course of their narrative turned those things into luxuries and now they're giving drip feeding them back to us again to make us feel like we're entitled to those things you know even though those are our natural given freedoms they feel that you know we're being they're re-entitling those to us now again and the fact is i mean it's not i think we are social creatures we don't like to be locked up in a building we don't want to be afraid of our environment and uh, we like to trust authority because we need someone to run the show for us most people don't have the energy to think for themselves that's why most people are employees rather than being self-employed or entrepreneurs, because it takes a lot more responsibility and a lot more effort to take that responsibility for yourself. And you'd much rather have a pill, a solution, and, and go back about your normal lives. And young people have not had a chance to really form their opinion about who they really are, because they're still you know, learning to navigate their environment. Uh, and, and they don't have the long years of, you know, several crises that have come and gone and several things that they can tie back to and relate in their mind. So they, of course, they're going to trend toward that's a natural thing. I think it's totally normal. And it's it's what the other side is playing on and banking on. Uh, but it still doesn't change anything about what's really going on. And I think people have to begin to wake up to this game 
that's going on this cat and mouse game this you know this puppet master you know pawn game that's going on really i mean i mean that's that's the only way i see it it's like if everyone that has children that i know they had to face these battles in their schools where children had to wear masks and not to wear masks and other kids were getting the jab and they didn't want it uh and their and they, their kids were giving them resistance at home i mean it was causing conflict in the homes and the way the people that I know that dealt with it had most success is just simply they talked about it all the time. They shared the information that they had in a non-fanatical way, um, and, and it was more or less effective. Um, but, I mean, the, the reality is that this is exactly the tool that they're using as one of the means to get us to comply with following the agenda, which is happens to be allowing people to poke something into your body to violate that last barrier of entry into your consciousness yeah. and they're succeeding i gotta say they're succeeding and it's uh, it's it's you know that, that's why people are always like oh the world the fifth dimension is already here and the the white hats have won and the reptiles have lost they've fled the planet we've won it's like i don't know take a look around really i mean there's still war people dying you know uh, there's still starvation going on there's things that are going on, on the planet if that was true you'd think they'd start to dissolve and break down and but no they're rap they're ramping up i mean they're coming into their they're playing full court press right now and they're not backing down the way i can see anywhere where is there any land country county any place you can go to on the planet right now where everyone has said we're free here there's no jabs that are ever going to happen we don't buy into the covid narrative you, you can come move here and live here and we're going to be you know living in an empowered way where name one yeah. right excuse me right so yeah the white hats of one really i can see it everywhere yeah <laughs> no we need to be vigilant now. now and the thing is it's hard it's hard work it's unfortunately it takes a little bit of effort you know that's why the odds of the timeline the way the guardians of the looking glass said was only four percent which is enough to discourage most people especially if they hear oh my god there's 70 events coming between now and 2030 this is hopeless you know it's a psyop you know no it means they're telling you it takes effort you have to question you have to ask and you have to not be afraid of resistance just you know work with it learn to flow with it don't look at them as your enemy just say okay they just don't get it yet you yeah. know i'm not going to be take i'm not going to be personally offended uh i'll just you know find like-minded people and come back and go back go back to it another day you know the war is not over the battle may have lost but you know just you just gotta this is what we have to learn to do now i think this is the new assignment of all the light activists out there the new assignment of the light activists <laughs> i love it i was thinking about this today actually i was thinking about um upholding your agenda or point of view or what you believe in without making the other people wrong you know without being in the fight and the resistance and um and then jesus came to mind they did crucify him, but boy, did he get his message out there. I've got to say his message has been very distorted over the last couple of thousand years, but he definitely made an impact. You know, he had his message, which um, the powers that be at the time that were the religious structure didn't really like or agree with because he was empowering people. 
Um, sure. But, I was reading some of the sermons on the Mount the other day, and I was just like, could be happening right now. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. But, <coughs> totally. but at the same time, he didn't make them wrong. You know, he didn't, you know, make them demonize them or make them evil or make them wrong. Oh, yeah. If you read those sermons, he's pretty clear in the language. Yeah. I mean, I think he did at certain points definitely say, you guys are evil <laughs> you know and you're practicing evil deeds you know and and uh, at least you know the the part that i read you know well but that, I, the that's point the, is that's been the human you know um interpretation of, it could be you know yeah. i i give you the the benefit of the doubt there i just know that um it's true that the cross is such a powerful symbol and it's for me another example of how those people who were who are actually standing to be defeated by that message of love and empowerment and evolution, quantum leap evolution, let's face it. He was the first, he was one of the progenitors of us, you know, of where we could be. Mm -hmm. um, and th what better way for them to take their defeat, which was to actually, you know, take him out, kill him, put him up on a cross, and now hang it, in, you know, I don't know how it is where, where you are in Australia, but here in, in Christian Bavarian, you have crosses at every corner. It's like they put the cross up to say, don't come up with any ideas because this is what will happen to you. <laughs> so remember that, you know, well, this is where you'll you. end up if you go up against the system. Right? You know, but it's so interesting, Frank. I'm going to wrap it up in a minute. We've been yakking for about an hour and a half. Uh, you know, so they, they threaten us with death. And what I've seen of 12 years podcasting and like 25 years 30 years being a healer and showcasing, you know, new world teachers is that the conversation on the podcast shows, the ones that are getting the most impact are the conversations about NDEs, you know, near death experiences, which is showing us that there is no death, which was what he, that was his message, you know, like there's no death. You can kill me. You can kill my body, but you can't kill me. And I've seen that 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 conversation is rising in the collective. Like apparently one of the most searched for things is what happens when you die in Google. So like people are asking that question. So the the, you know, the deep state are threatening us with death. But if you're not scared of death, then you can't be threatened. Like if you know there is no death then you can't be in fear. So, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Yeah. And we did a show um, called Timeless in, here in Germany where we had a lot of guests come on that had had NDEs mm -hmm. and they told their stories. And it became clear to me that, you know, there's just too many cases. Um, Pim van der, van der Lum, I think is his name. He's, a, you know, one of the first to publish books about NDEs. He's a heart cardio, uh, car cardiologist. And he noticed that people that, you know, had had NDEs when they were on the operating table would report anomalous things. And he began to study it and publish books about it. And, you know, Eben Alexander is another good case um, of someone who actually should have been a vegetable after they, even if they returned was a miracle. But the fact that right. he did return and within months had his full consciousness back right, right, is proof. Right right that there is another dimension that we that we're actually just transcending dimensions when we leave the physical body we enter another dimension mm -hmm. and we retain aspects of our consciousness exactly how that's defined you know i mean tom campbell has his we had him on the show as well he talks mm -hmm. about that as well because he's able to take his consciousness into some of those other levels and yeah. bring them and return here again uh yeah. and there's a, a guy called um um schwartz dr P. 
Peter or David Schwartz, I think. Anyway, Schwartz, he's in Arizona developing something called the Soul Phone, which I found a couple of oh, years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I you was going to have so you on So he's figuring show. out a ways to actually dial in the dial. people on the other side. You know, it's but, like, you know, hi, like Grandma, you know, how are you doing over there? And, you know, we've been in touch. Dieter and I are doing a no show about instrumental transcommunication messages, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. messages that came from other dimensions right? and discussing them on the show. And it shows you that even in the one of the leading pioneers in the field who is now deceased we had him in packing for mars called dr professor dr ernst sankowski he created he actually had mi6 people come and build faraday cages because he wanted to be sure that the science would be accepted and he would put these faraday cages and he'd put tape recorders in the room and receivers and he would pick up voices and communications where it was totally impossible Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yes, I mean, this is another thing that I I know very well exactly what you said. If people knew that there is no death per se, then they wouldn't they would also not really be scared of any virus, would there? Because right. they'd say, all right, well, I guess the virus is going to take me. I'm on to the next part of my journey. Done exactly. with that. Exactly. You know, they would have no fear. They'd say, come, take me. They, they just take universe the way it comes and provides it and, and offers itself to them. Right. Whatever form that is. And if yeah. it means that they leave their physical and move to the other dimension. This is another way going to your earlier statement of how getting this information into the mainstream can affect society. Mm -hmm. These are all those conversations that are part of the new earth mm -hmm. that we need to be having. We Absolutely. need to be talking about this stuff because it opens people up to new possibilities. And people yeah. will then, even the resistors now that are saying that you're a, what do they call you? Uh, you know, an anti-vaxxer, an, an anti-vaxxer or whatever, or like a doomsdayer. I mean, even those people, if yeah. they get a, that a kind of information, a fear monger is a fear monger. Exactly. Fear if they get that kind of information, they will open up to yeah. some new probabilities. But they needed one of the reasons we that solar revolution was such a powerful film is because it was we had scientists talking on it and mm -hmm. we had them discussing it in scientific terms. It wasn't. It wasn't all just, you know, whistleblowers that had nothing, you know, on their backs except the shirts when they came out of the programs to prove they were in the programs and would have to take their word for it. And that, that's one of the reasons why to this day we get people writing us saying, yeah, you know what, this film, I sat down, my skeptical husband, he always thinks I'm a crazy and I sat him down and we watched <laughs> the film and he was speechless the whole way through because he couldn't, it was using the conventions that skeptics will accept and that is scientists you know that are talking about this i want to tell you this i want to tell you this little story that happened to me the other day because it's just so beautiful and synchronistic um so i i, I co-hosted a an online expo called the highest self expo and the conversation was where science meets spirituality so i was given the job to find australians or people in australasia to come and speak because it was a 24 hour thing and we were doing three different time zones like the us uh, europe and australasia and uh, I, I had this little friend he was actually a friend of my daughter's who was a neuroscientist but he'd had an nde but he's more in the scientific than he is in the spiritual woo-woo. And he found me a little bit woo-woo, but I still got him to showcase his work because he speaks like this. He can speak like a scientist. And he has had his, his own near-death experience where he experienced his consciousness living his body. So he's a, a bit, bit more open, like he's open to consciousness. But I bumped into him at the markets the other day, right? So that was like a year ago I did that. I bumped into him at the markets the other day. 
and we were talking, we had this amazing conversation about consciousness and telepathy and all sorts of things. And I'm telling him that we're moving into a more telepathic society. And he said, did you think about me before today? And I said, no, not really. And he said, well, I've been thinking about you. And I said, really? He said, yeah, my father is an Indian because he was an Indian. He's born, he's born here, but his father's an Indian who doesn't really believe in anything that he talks about, found Eben Alexander's book and saw that he was a neuroscientist. He had no idea what was in the book, but he bought it for his son and he said, here, go read this book. I think you'll like it. So Eben, through the magic of Eben Alexander, crossing that world of where science meets spirituality, is talking about all this stuff that we're talking about. So he's reading this book and he's thinking about the conversations he's had with me where he thinks I'm a bit too crazy and woo-woo and then we bump into each other at the market and there's this beautiful synchronicity just happening where the world is just bringing him this message where he's like opening his mind because he's more the scientist than he is the yeah it's amazing how life works like that and uh the thing that made the me universe cry, opens the doors for a fool wishing to know the secret say that again <laughs> universe opens the door for the fool wishing to know the secret i love that yeah absolutely even when you think that the door is just a little bit ajar. It just sort of opens it ever wider and wider and wider where right. you're. Where, we talk about thought. that in solar revolution, you know, with the telephone calls, you know, people hear, you know, um, they just, oh, I'm thinking of so-and-so and then they're calling right that second. Mm. These are all things that are evidence that we have this greater, you know, connection. Our antennas reach out and way beyond our physical bodies and that we're connecting on an inner level you know much more than we acknowledge and the only reason it isn't mainstream enough yet is because really no, not enough people are talking about it simple as that when enough people talk about it it becomes mainstream becomes mainstream yeah. and i think that a lot of these fringe topics they are going to become the mainstream we're the Absolutely. early adopters of the knowledge and information that will one day become standard absolutely absolutely you know absolutely. so i mean i don't even I talk about it in terms of whether or if this is going on i just know it is i mean it's it's clear you know it's clear to me the, the 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 lines are drawn in society out there and the trains left the station people it's running slowly still we can catch it mm -hmm. but if we don't start to do something soon in terms of you know create uh, or put energy into creating a a new world that we want we're going to be stuck on at the train station in this reality that it has been created for us by these people who want to have their brains implanted. There's in sitcoms out there now called Upload, you know, where you, it's all about, you know, uploading your brain and your consciousness into a simulated experience that you can admit, live forever. I watched it. It's kind of We funny. already I, live forever, people. <laughs> you know, know, we already live forever, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. But <laughs> nobody knows that or trusts it. So, you know, we have these shows that tell us we need a machine. We need yeah. a simulation, a computer. And yeah. that's what these atheist types that they tend to be. Yeah. Yuval Harari is a proclaimed atheist. Mm -hmm. They don't believe in God. They believe that God was invented by us. And then now history will change when we become God. Simple as that. That's literally off of his website. You can go to his website. It's but, like right but there. All the things, 
all the things that they're asking uh, technology to do, we already do with our consciousness anyway. And that's the conversation I have with most people on the show is, you know, like, as I say, flying around the cosmos in your astral travel and talking to dead people. And Susie Hansen that I mentioned to you before, who's the New Zealand contactee, you know, when she was a child up on the ships, the ETs, the greys introduced her to an energy orb which was the soul of her to-be son in her human life. So she's like a kid. And they introduced her to this orb, this energy orb. So they had this complete unity with um, parallel other dimension, other dimensional beings like spirits, you know, dead people for a better word. Like when you, before you're incarnated into some sort of form, whether it's an ET form or a human form, they have this relationship with these orbs that are sort of souls and spirits. So the ET said, I'll meet this orb, but this will be your son. When you grow up, he will be your son and hang out with this orb for a while. Get to know this soul, if you like. It's just crazy. It's just beautiful and wondrous and magnificent, but we don't need a plant a chip in our brain to do that we can communicate with spirit and other dimensions and extraterrestrials and astral travel and project your consciousness and remote view it's all available we don't need a chip yeah we don't need his technology it's all available anyway darling one it's um coming up to two hours thank you so much for uh what you're doing you're getting the message out there you're spreading the word and uh, i loved this conversation what do you want to leave us with anything going on that you want to tell us about um well i'm yeah what am i going to leave you with um i think i've said everything but if, if people want to know more or get in touch with me my website frankjacob.com or if they want to check out our movies which is a good starting point for unlocking some of this information then they could go to or you'll probably put the links but screenaddiction.com is a good place if you scroll down that's the page for our production company if you scroll down the bottom of that page you, you'll find buttons and access links to all of our movies both digital streams and dvds and if people are interested in taking a like a more of a deep down the rabbit hole seminar webinar with me i'm working on that um i've been talking about that and i'm actually working on it now and i've got a platform um in the making so it's just around the corner cool. they can they can uh email me and then i'll put them on the i'll transfer them to my my new subscriber back end and i'll hit this cool looking email to everybody and then you can check in and and you can watch the webinar and we'll go into some of these topics uh, that we touched on briefly here in this interview a little bit more in depth so you have more of the background to it so that if you wanted to you know um fortify your knowledge of these events with some more meat or if you're a vegetarian some more tofu or something then uh <laughs> come to the well, actually tofu is bad because they've totally the soy industry has been totally contaminated by monsanto so Maybe it's plant-based, something else. But yes, that's what I'm saying. Tomato. Come to the website. Send yes, me a, yes. there's a contact form. Send me a message. Um, I'll, I'll put the link. I, I noticed that uh, Prime was showcasing uh, Packing for Mars because I was trying to find it. Um, I've yeah, but Prime it. takes it and I don't make any money on it. So oh, you better they, to so, get it directly. Well, give me a link and I'll put the link under this conversation for where people can watch it. Um, so where, where are you streaming it? on where are you streaming it on vimeo we have our own streaming platform called real house oh there you go wow cool yeah. fantastic real house and it's better quality than Amazon. wonderful wonderful yeah. 
Frank Jacobs, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Fantastic. Great to meet you and talk to you, Karen, and all the best to you. Good things that you're doing. Amazing conversation with Frank. Uh, yeah, amazing conversation with Frank. We had more conversations after I turned off the recording about what he's doing now with his webinars and how many people wanted to talk to him about this from different podcasts and things like that. Uh, yeah, getting this information out there. I, um, it's not the normal conversation I have on the shows, um, especially the second part, which is not on the major platforms. It'll be on my Odyssey channel and Rumble. Uh, it'll be on my website as well. But um, it's a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while. But of course, because of, you know, the way that the major platforms have been um, disseminating information, uh, hasn't always been possible to have this kind of conversation on their platforms. And uh, I do honour the, you know, especially YouTube for the way that it's allowed me to get this message out there and uh, spread, spread the message of consciousness. So I um, don't want to upset them. <laughs> I don't want to be taken down like I've seen so many of my friends. So many people have been taken down off the big major platforms for putting a message out there that um, people don't agree with. So, yeah, fascinating conversation. Fascinating conversation. Check out his website. He, um, yeah, he's going to be doing some more talks and webinars. He's got he's a wealth of information and uh, he's got a lot, a lot of projects on the, on the go for um, bringing bringing this consciousness conversation into media, into films, into documentaries and films. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Media is such a powerful way of getting, getting a message, spreading a message. And um, mainstream narrative know that. And that's the way they've been spreading their message through, their, uh, through the news predominantly, through the news channels and current affair channels. And, yep, they've been getting a message out there weaponizing the flu it's not okay just to have the flu anymore you're a danger to society <laughs> and yet i see the flu as such a blessing such it's such a blessing in the way that the body is um, coping with the toxins that we take in and uh, i see the body wanting to acclimate with the new energies that are uh, that are present on the planet which means that we can no longer bip along being these toxic beings i really feel the reason we age so early compared to other highly evolved civilizations is because of our environment and the way that we ingest so many poisons and toxins in our everyday daily routines, you know, just walking down the street with all the pollution in the air from the carbon dioxide. I live on the coast and it's been raining massively in Australia, which I've been talking about since Christmas, which has kind of been dumbing down a lot of the pollution, but, there are days when you look out to sea and you just see this brown haze on the horizon, which is the, which is the toxins that we're living in, and especially if you're on a boat out to sea and you look back at the cities, the major cities, you see this thick brown haze that lives over the cities and we live inside that and breathe this air and we just bip along like it's normal and then the body says, enough. I'm going to detox and we start shedding, you know, our nose runs, our eyes run, we cough up stuff, diarrhea, we sweat. They're all symptoms of the flu, the body doing its thing to detox and bring us more into harmony and balance and the homeostasis of the body. And yet the narrative has weaponized that process and said that it is as deadly 
and you don't want to catch it. Actually, you do want to catch it. You do want to be able to detox your body. Absolutely. Anyway, I did it. <laughs> and everyone I know has been doing it. They've all had the flu and have been detoxing. It's been quite an amazing time. The cat coming to say hello. So it's been a long show. I'm not going to yak on too much more. Uh, thanks again for watching and sharing the shows. And do go and support my shows on the other platforms. I haven't got much of an audience there as yet, but I'd love you to um, support. I particularly like Odyssey. It's a blockchain technology. The CEO of Odyssey is a New Zealand guy. I think he was Indian family, Indian background, lives in New Zealand, and they made the most hilarious, hilarious um, video about him. I just, I just loved their sense of humour. Uh, it's a little clunky as a platform. It's not as sophisticated as, um, as the YouTube platforms, but uh, I do like them. I, I like their philosophy. They didn't, they didn't start their platform because of, no, of censorship, where a lot of the other platforms that have come up, they're like, you were not censored, we're not censored. It wasn't sort of a push back against the other platforms, which again, I like that energy too. It's not the fight, you know, they're not in the fight. They're just presenting something else that we can use. That's an alternative. It doesn't necessarily make the other guys bad. Um, yeah, I like that. So uh, Odyssey is one that I've been using and I have been using Rumble. I tried BitChute, I uploaded a couple of shows, BitChute, but, um, which is another popular. There's so many platforms, I have to say. There's Brighteon, Brand YouTube. God, there's just masses of them out there now. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, so thanks for supporting the other ones. That, that's really cool. All right, love you all. Uh, coming up, this we had Michael Tamora in the Inner Sanctum. We didn't have any of this discussion with Michael. We talked purely about spiritual mastery, about how to be a, a spirit, knowing that you are spirit, having a human experience, not getting too caught up with the dramas that happen here, including cabals and agendas and timelines and things like that, knowing that you are an eternal being here for a very short time, experiencing the contrast that Earth offers. Mastery conversation with Michael the other day, which is, uh, you know, uploaded. I haven't uploaded those to the um, other platforms yet. I will do that this week. Um, yeah, but that was streaming on the YouTube and Facebook pages. Just love Michael tomorrow. Who's coming next into the inner sanctum? Jill Stein. Yeah, I had Jill on the show last year, I think. Or was it this year? Might have been last year. She's a parental medium. So she's somebody that has just started putting herself out there. And uh, mine was one of the first shows that she did. But she, I, I met her through Geraldine Orozco, who had showcased her. Um, they have a higher healing. They have a website called Higher Healing, which is for higher healing. And you can hire a healer. It's a bit of a pun on words. And I met Jill through uh, Geraldine. And I loved the conversation I had with her. She's also a dragon master. And so we talked about dragon energy and uh, I love the conversation. So I asked her to come and speak to the tribe in the Inner Sanctum. She's coming in next, um, next month in June to talk to us uh, in the Inner Sanctum. And you can meet her and quiz her and ask her questions. And uh, after that, we've got um, Claudia Edge, which is somebody I who I had on the show this, this year. She is uh, an NDE-er and she goes to spirit school every night. She's taught by her spirit in school every night when she's asleep and she comes back with all the knowledge and writes it all down and i loved the conversation i had with her too kimberly meredith is somebody i had on the show recently kimberly had been reaching out to me for ages and uh i put her on the show this year 
And she said to me, can I do some readings? Can I come back on the show and do some readings? And I said, well, we'd have to do that in the Inner Sanctum where we've got a live audience and you can read, you know, you can do the healing readings to the live audience. So she's going to come and do that in August. And then Marina Seren from Spain uh, is going to come in in September. I'll probably have somebody else in September too. And Robert Schwartz is coming back in November, Your Soul's Plan and Your Soul's Destiny. And Jazz Maheen, who's just been on the show, asked her to come in in December. I just loved her. You can meet Jasmine Living on Light, who was on the show a week or so ago, you know, a breatharian. They're called breatharians. She doesn't have the necessity to eat. She says she does eat. She can have a cup of coffee or an apple every now and then if she feels like it or whatever, a biscuit or a cookie. Um, but she doesn't need to eat to sustain health in her body. But she lives on light. She lives on the pure essence and divine energy of uh, who we are. But you have to attune to that energy. You have to be in a different brain wave. You can't be in the beta brain wave. You have to be in the alpha theta brain waves more dominantly so that you can sustain your body with that flow of um, divine essence that creates all life in the universe. So I just thought she was fabulous. She's in Queensland, Australia. I asked her to come in to the inner sanctum at the end of the year to meet you all. Yeah. So that's what's coming up. And um, thanks again for listening and watching and check out the book Awakened by Death if you haven't already. It's full of some fabulous um, stories about who we are as eternal beings beyond this dimension and how people had a spiritual awakening through the death experience, either their own or the death of a loved one, like a child or parent. Big love to you. Bye for now.